0: Hello, and welcome to the International Sonography Podcast, the podcast all about the occupation of diagnostic medical ultrasound all over the globe. I'm your host, Jamie Fujikawa.
1: Hey, everybody. It's Lorinda Andrest. Welcome back to part two of episode number seven of International Sonography Podcast with Mr. Dale Sear, CEO of Intelios. We are going to jump right back into our interview. And thank you so much for joining us again.
0: Recognizing that there's more autonomous role of sonographers in England, does the ARDMS have market value within their health system?
2: Yes, the practice is definitely different for sonographers in England. As you stated, it is uh, much more autonomous Mm -hmm. uh, where the sonographers actually uh, do perform primary diagnosis in most clinical specialties. And that's especially true in the private sector, because in in the United Kingdom, they have their public health service, and then they also have a, a private sector. And when when uh, sonographers are practice, uh, practicing in the private sector, especially, they, they have diagnostic autonomy. They are still employed by a radiologist, typically, or an obstetrician, or cardiologist. And uh, the value that ARDMS registrants have, I think, is somewhat limited right now. What is happening is that uh, some sonographers are uh, moving to England. They, they have a very dramatic shortage of sonographers in the UK right now. And the sonographer, the American sonographers that are uh, moving there, they are, they, they are employed. The ARDMS credentials are recognized after some hoops are done within the bureaucracy. And then the main thing that they have to do right now is that they have to actually take a class on how to dictate because they're dictating their reports. That's the main difference right now in the private sector is what's happening. So uh, there's no additional training or clinical scanning or sign-off per se at the national level. But what most of them have to do is they have to take a dictation class of how to dictate. The real ARDMS credentials that are valued Right now in the UK is the RBT and the RMSKS, the MSK, because okay. MSK is extremely prevalent in the UK as it is in most other places in the world. And so uh, those two special examinations are are sought after because the British Medical Ultrasound Society, uh, they're part of the Society of Radiography in the UK and radiography oversees uh, ultrasound it's not really certification it's more of an accreditation type of, of program they oversee that but they don't have those specialty uh, specialties right now that they're accrediting
0: okay so they don't so they they can go there american ones that come from here can go over there right now and not have to take a new board exam
2: what i have heard and what i know that is correct now i will say within the national health service in the uk Things are have changed pretty dramatically over the last six months and changing even more because of you know macro political issues and funding and things of that nature. so I, I certainly don't want to give the impression that if you go over there, you don't have to. I think I would look at it probably as a more of uh, an institution to institution case, mm-hmm. and that if a stenographer does want to go over there and they are uh, working with an institution to become employed over there, that whatever, that whatever that institution requires is obviously what's going to happen.
1: So with other parts of uh, Europe, are there any other practices in the style of sonography and how it's sought after or provided that are vastly different from the English model?
2: Yeah, the UK in, in Western Europe and Eastern Europe as well, the UK is really the only predominant sonographer model that I'm aware of, there may be a smattering of non-physician healthcare providers that do ultrasound that are not maybe titled sonographers, but they're actually performing like a sonographer. And those are mainly again in the private in the private sector areas. Uh, some in France, uh, some in Germany, but that's that's about it. Hmm. Uh, the UK is really right right now the only real large formalized model that employs sonographers.
1: So from the perspective of ARDMS and your expansion internationally, do you look at Europe as a potential site to go to?
2: We do. Uh, It's certainly a long-term plan. It's certainly my belief that I think as ultrasound becomes more prevalent and the practice of sonography becomes more prevalent, there's going to be an increased demand of ultrasound users if you will and i think the natural flow of of that is is developing the sonographer model so i think with time when the burdens become so high where physicians need to be doing hundreds of cases a day i think i think the uh, the north american australian sonographer model uh will come into play maybe the uk model depending on the laws of Autonomy and things of that nature. So I I I think it's a long term prospect. Right now in Europe, I think there's probably if we're looking at certification, I think uh, where we're probably having better discussions is at the physician level for physician certification, especially in the point of care areas.
0: So within Telios, is that?
2: The with or APCA, the Alliance for Physician Certification in Advancement, yeah.
0: And what's that big difference between, sorry, the private and the public sector about as far as the autonomy of the sonographer? What...
2: Most other countries, especially in Europe, have socialized medicine or, or single payer programs and socialized medicine being one of those. So most of them have those medical models. And so you have your national healthcare systems in place, like in the UK, it's a national healthcare system, the NHS. Mm-hmm. And then there is a private practice sector uh, within most of these countries as well, which is really no different than the private practice setting in the United States Okay. Uh, in which uh, physicians may practice both. They may do NHS work and they may do private work or they may just do private work. Private work, uh, there's really no insurance or if there, there is some private insurance, but uh, those I think those really fall on patients who have the means to supply their own health care. And so consequently, in that private sector, they can, to some degree, set up their own rules of how they're going to practice. And so I think that allows the autonomy of the sonographer to occur more prevalent in the, uh, in the private sector. I'm not sure in the NHS rules, if there's, much like the United States where the sonographer cannot formally diagnose or make final diagnostics. I'm not sure if that's the case in the NHS, but it, to my knowledge, again, it's not, it's not the case in the private sector.
0: Okay. Well, we want to move on to talking a little bit about the a renewal of certifications. So, initially, what led the ARDMS decision to initiate the renewal of the certification exam process after such a long time of existence without periodic retesting?
2: Right. Great question. The reality is that the ARDMS has always had certification renewal, it's been through continuing medical education credits. Sure. And then over the years, it became evident that CMEs are very important, but there's no Qualification or quantification of the outcomes of that, and if a, if a professional, a healthcare professional, is going and listening to lectures, there's no there's no way to know if they are uh, obtaining information or knowledge to do that. Simultaneously, in the mid 2000s, when that research was becoming much more prevalent, became accredited by the american national standards institute which is the is for iso international standards mm-hmm. organization and at that time their standards required some type of quantification for that an individual is current in practice and so what that meant is that there needs to be some type of quantification of existing certificates registered that they can demonstrate that they are current in their knowledge skills and abilities no matter whatever the content for us it happened to be ultrasound and synagogues. so Because of the reviewers that we have, we actually had uh, written boxes back because we have an annual review. That we had to form some type of standard of quantification assessment to demonstrate currency. So uh, we started to engage that. Uh, we, We didn't have to have it executed. What we had to have is a plan in place that it was going to happen. Sure. So between the years of 2005 ISO standards, they redid the standards in 2012. And there was such pushback within all the healthcare societies, certification organizations around the world of quantifying, of having this mandatory uh, testing, an actual retest or some type of test on that, that they actually changed the standard in 2012, which actually was released in 2014, which did not require a quantification, which really kind of opened this up that you could, as long as you had some, system in place that you could have some type of qualitative assessment that affect currency, it was good. And so that's why we went from letting the community know that we had to move in this direction for a quote unquote retest where we change and we made decisions last year. Just going to take a step back because there's a lot of great qualitative models out there, whether it be a portfolio model or some type of ongoing practice model, documentation of practice model. In association with CME, that we feel that we want to take a step back for a couple of years, really look and employ the, the right model that's really going to be meaningful, most importantly for the patient, so they know that any sonographer that's performing a scan on them has met current knowledge, skills, and abilities, uh, but also uh, for the professional sonographer as well. So, right now, we're, we're continuing on what we've always done, which is the, which is the CME requirements. We have a fairly large interdisciplinary committee, task force, working on recertification. And so What kind of model we're looking
0: for? It'll be a couple of years, said. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So if I ask in a couple of years, what is it going to look like for me to go apply or, and take my recertification, could you tell me right now what that looks like?
2: I think in a couple of years, I'll be able to tell you uh, more definitively what it's going to look like. Okay. Right now, it's really uh, offices. I think it's actually very exciting of the areas that we're looking into, but I really don't want to say because it's, there's probably about six or eight different ways we're looking at it, but in a couple of years, we'll definitely be more narrow and be able to probably give you a much better understanding of what's going on.
1: So looking at the certification exam and all the newer subspecialties, I'm curious if ARDMS has ever looked at subdividing the Abdomen certification. I'm going to put that in quotes, so to speak, in the sense of, you know, we have now breast sonography, there's different avenues. Any thoughts about that?
2: So, could you clarify a little bit more, Lorinda?
1: But are you talking about the, the abdomen bucket, right? Like the, right, big, the, the big back, general... you know, the general abdomen bucket test. Yes. Is there a potential for some of those? non-abdomen, and I mean specifically physically the abdomen, going into other avenues, like maybe male sonography for prostate and testicular, just like mammography. Has oh, been. yes.
2: Yes, I see. Thank you for that clarification. Yes, the organization is continuing looking at all of the general examinations to see if there are areas of practice that are becoming more focused or more uh, that have a limited content, and within the abdomen, the one that has been talked about uh, for several years actually is, is is deemed as small parts, so it could be you know thyroid, testicular, stroke scanning, that type of thing. Obviously, we haven't moved on that because back in the day, the general abdominal exam was didn't incorporate everything, which did incorporate breast, but breast became really its own specialty. I'm very pleased to say that we have uh, over 12,000 breast registrants now. And MSK never was really part of the admin exam because that kind of came on the market quickly, so we never we never incorporated MSK in the admin exam. Uh, But I think the next logical thing that our subject matter experts tell us is that possibly uh, small parts. There's a lot there's a lot of people that are practicing small parts in a much more focused practice today versus the general. But Mm -hmm. uh, no decisions have been made and uh, I'm not sure it's really on the radar screen right now, but it absolutely has been talked about.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, kind of following that, the new developments um, theme, but especially with the point of care ultrasound coming to the forefront, are there any future sonographer oriented certification exams being evaluated for development?
2: How the sonographer is going to interact with point of care ultrasound practices, uh, I think it's actually quite exciting for the sonographer profession. I do I do believe personally, the sonographer has a major role to play in point of care ultrasound practices. Um, right now though, as we rolled out the point of care ultrasound POCUS Academy in May, right now it is uh, uh, for physicians and we, we have our hands full rolling that out and getting that up. And, and getting that engaged and embedded within the multiple medical communities that that affects. However, uh, the RDMS and the RDMS council is always looking for ways in which we're going to start incorporating, or what, how will the sonographer engage in that type of scanning? Hmm. Um, questions that the organization will be asking in the near future. Uh, as an example, you're an RDMS in abdomen. How much does that carry over into how the sonographer is going to be scanning in a point of care environment? Mm -hmm. We don't have the answers to that right now, but those are the type of things we'll be looking at. Um, But there's no doubt the sonographer and point of care in the the near future will will be having to uh, look at that much more carefully.
1: Got it. So potentially expanding a certification in point of care, uh, not only to physician, but potentially somehow under an a, for a sonographer as
2: well. I think with time, um, the, the beautiful thing about the sonographer and I would I add the credential sonographer <laughs> is that for most point of care, most point of care applications right now from a scanning and sonographic performance perspective, an RDMS could walk in and do what needs to be done, mm-hmm. right? From a scanning performance perspective, the RDMS is really at a, at a higher level than the point of care will be.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so that's where right now you could walk into, typically you could walk into an emergency department and unless it's a real trauma case, you, you could perform Pretty much all the scans that they would require if you needed to help them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, or certainly if it's in a primary care setting, in, in the afternoon, a sonographer is, has all the skills necessary to perform what would be asked in a family practice clinic, for instance, which typically would be renal and gallbladder scan right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what role does, this, you know, how, do, how does that shape into point of care? future? Don't know. Uh, Does there need to be some more education uh, in lung scanning? Because that's not within the RDMS scope right now. Those type of areas is where things things would would occur.
0: Got it. With the new locations for use of of point-of-care ultrasound, how does the unfamiliarity of ultrasound in the non-traditional clinical setting for these physicians limit their understanding for sonographer support or interpretation of the results?
2: Kind of goes back to our earlier questioning. It depends what country you're talking about. Okay. So if, if you're talking about the United States, yes, the United States sonographer, I think, and these point of care new users—a term I use and it may not be correct—non-traditional users. Sure. Um, your rheumatologist, your podiatrist, your emergency medicine physicians your hospitalists, all of them have grown up within the United States medical system and they they absolutely know what a sonographer is, especially if they're beginning to learn ultrasound. And in fact, most of the residency programs or fellowship programs in those areas, they actually seek sonographers to help them train. For sure. Uh, Because they look at the sonographer as a highly qualified professional that knows a lot more about the performance of ultrasound equipment and how to go about scanning than they know. And sure. so I think, that, I think the sonographer is uh, highly regarded in those areas. But make no mistake, uh, these, uh, again, my term, not, not a universal term, the non-traditional users, this is a new environment. And even within residency programs, these are new training programs that are new, and they have to evolve and mature, as with all education and training programs. But uh, it is, it's is—it's absolutely happening, and as years move on, they will become more mature in their use of, of how ultrasound is used in their clinical practice. The main thing to keep in mind, I believe, with point of care, especially for the physician or advanced care provider, such as the physician assistants and nurse practitioners, they use ultrasound as a clinical tool. They use it as a tool to enhance their clinical decision-making.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Sonographers use ultrasound as a career. And just those two mindsets alone drive different needs in the of education, training, and practice. For us, understanding those differences is really uh, fascinating, but it's a lot of work and it takes time. But the difference is, is, as I said, uh, you know, the sonographer, you know, so the practice of sonography is a career. And for most point of care, non-traditional users, it's, it's a tool. And so learning the differences of their needs and demands of education and training between the two is quite wide and, the, and their demands are different. And there's a, there's a, there's a gap of how much the sonographer needs to know as far as pure performance goes. And what the what the clinician needs to use ultrasound as a tool to enhance their clinical decision making. Yeah. And uh, and this is why the POCUS Academy and Howard uh, is certificates because it's focused.
1: So related to the whole point of care scenario and potentially the difference between the role of a sonographer with uh, documentation of an exam versus the point of care from the perspective of compliance and often um, from the perspective of those involved in compliance maybe things there's some gaps there as well no images are taken or maybe there's just one but it's not in captured in an electronic medical record appropriately Nor is there any documentation other than just like the old days of the, where they used to do a handwritten note in the progress notes. Oops. Have you heard well, of grumblings about that?
2: Yes, there, there are, there are grumblings. There's a, a lot of inconsistencies of documentation and those, I think eventually within the mature medical markets. Have, have to, as far as individual certification is those, that's typically something that we don't test on, so to speak. Sure. Um, That falls more into accreditation practice issues, which, again, is not dealing with point-of-care ultrasound right now. But uh, I think from a medical legal perspective, I think you'll be seeing a tightening of that uh, over the next several years.
0: So Historically, within sonography, there's been an attempt to develop a career ladder that would potentially be a master's degree. It seems at this point, the ARDMS has not stepped forward to be the provider of that additional progressive certification. Is there any recent contemplation by the ARDMS of an exam development for these upcoming graduates or perhaps in other specialty areas?
2: So the overall terminology I'll use for this question is uh, the development of an advanced practice certification. Uh, That's been the decades long terminology I think used. And so we'll use that here. Uh, ARDMS has been actively for at least two decades, reviewing and discussing about advanced practice certification. Um, and uh, you are correct, RMS, uh through this time has decided not to pursue it. And the decisions of the organization has always been uh, based in data and looking at the community, not only at the sonographer community itself, but also employers uh, within the United States and also at uh, potential educational uh, curriculums and outcomes. And to this point, the uh, ARDMS board uh, made the decision to deliver such a certification at this time. It's being looked at uh, pretty consistently or talked about pretty consistently. And what I can assure the community is that at such time, if the data is demonstrated and or is there, that ARDMS would now probably be getting involved with some type of advanced certification. What that looks like is really the the main question. I can say Within the RDMS Council, is part of discussion.
1: And part of that data is a needs assessment, correct?
2: Correct. What we typically do uh, is that we perform uh, what's called a need- needs analysis, as you said. Mm-hmm. And what that does, these, these are questions that go out in survey format to a community. And in this, you know, it would go out to a specialty community or a large community, whether it be the overall. ARD sonography community, asking questions of need. Is there a, is there a need for this? Uh, if we were to develop it, would you find the certification to be useful? Make a test over it type of thing, uh, those type of questions, and those come back. When we do have the right information, we also uh, go further and try to get to uh, employers to see if, uh, if employers, institutions, would hire a person with a different type of credential what's the interest from the employer perspective and we try to do that with everything we do sure whether we remove regular sonography credential or or something something new
0: sure and as a needs assessment was that used in the point of care discussion too like so putting surveys out there seeing where people are using that point of care ultrasound or? we
2: we did do some work in that especially in the mercy medicine market sure uh, And the data we got back was very positive uh, within the University of Medicine community. Uh, And then at times, what we will also do is uh, hold several focus groups of uh, specialists in which we can kind of get the same information uh, at that time, depending on the size and how many focus groups we do.
0: So does whether CCI um, has successfully established the creation of an advanced cardiac sonographer certification bear any weight on the decision for the ARDMS to follow suit in any non-cardiac specialties? And if this does take place, would cardiac be included in the ARDMS umbrella for for the advanced practice?
2: Certainly our good friends at CCI, their their decision to move forward in the advanced cardiac sonographer credential uh, would not play a role. Uh, Our organization is really data data based and make decisions based on data that we get from these analysis or focus groups or things of that nature on that type of thing. So uh, since CCI did that, uh, we have always wished them the best on that. Um, If ARDMS were to move forward into advanced uh, sonographer certification, again, whatever that would mean, uh, we would move into any content area that we deem necessary.
0: Sure, based on the data that you collect from the, based on
2: the data that we collected and making decisions based on based on the data. Got it.
1: So, how is ARDMS handling with the new specialty certifications? How are you addressing the educational standards and requirements for some of these newer exams, like let's say MSK? or midwifery, mm-hmm. those kinds of subspecialties, so to speak, or adjunct for different personnel?
2: Great question. It really depends on the exam and the, and the population and community that we're uh, looking to be certified. So, for instance, if we look at the MSK, uh, are you talking about the physician or the sonographer?
1: I think I'm curious about both. Yeah. Now, obviously it was decades ago when I went through school and we were just learning to do MSK sort of on the fly, so to speak, you know, versus, you know, are there MSK courses within any specific programs, just like there is mammography. I mean, uh, breast ultrasound, Mm -hmm. obviously people are learning, uh, both the didactic and the clinical.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So, you know, how do you address that with some of those other
2: uh, areas? Right. Typically, uh, with a new certification, especially if it's moving into an area that has established formal education programs, uh, whether it be the physician level or the midwife level, uh, we would require them to have met their primary certification. So for a midwife, for instance, they they have to be a certified midwife Mm -hmm. as as a prerequisite. And then, uh, typically, what we do is we, uh, across the board, and uh, we require continuing continuing medical education requirements, um, and some level of scanning experience. Typically, um, but we also have to look at the community at large, and so again, looking at the midwife structure versus a physician market and ultrasound, uh, midwives and ultrasound—they're uh, just beginning to build educational infrastructure within their educational programs and their annual meetings and online offerings for for the midwife. Um, And so we have to take an account of what what that would mean to get someone certified to meet some level of minimum proficiency. uh, We we do have to adjust some type, some eligibility requirement. people will sit for that. We don't wanna set the bar so high that no one can qualify Sure, absolutely. Certified. Yeah. Um, And then as as with all certification programs, you usually start, you know, new, especially if it's a new community. And over time, as education becomes more prevalent, uh, there's more people certified. um, Those eligibility requirements become tighter. They become more robust. The requirements change. And, uh, and that's kind of, we're on the pathway there with the midwife. Uh, we're on the pathway there with uh, the POCUS Academy. Um, and the physician exams that we're doing now have been around long enough. So the RPBI, mm-hmm. those, have those eligibility requirements, um, they actually require that you have to complete a residency and do cases. Hmm. That's actually become an eligibility requirement to sit for the vascular surgery boards. So that's a little different scenario. And then for sonographer uh, new sonographer exams, it's usually based on the typical eligibility requirements some some level within our eligibility requirements, of uh, documented education, documented training, CME requirements, etc.
1: I did think of one other question. Just for the audience to have an understanding, especially those that are getting ready to take a test or have taken a recent ARDMS exam, and it's related to the assessment of the questions by the psychometricians and looking at the validity or non-validity of a particular question that's sometimes thrown out.
2: Are you asking how that works? Yeah,
1: just an explanation a synopsis explanation. I think yeah. some people might be interested in that.
2: Right. Uh, well that's really the backbone of any certification organization uh, is the psychometrics. And so there are there are there's a specialty within the testing world called psychometricians, and these are typically PhD uh, statisticians. That have, measured, that have majored in educational psychological measurement in which they have the skills to look at questions on a test and from the data coming back uh, of a, lo- a lot of data, they can determine if that question is valid or reliable. Hmm. And, um, and they have a, a whole bunch of statistical models that they run to look at the uh, individual questions or they look at the test as the whole of how it's performing compared to how it should be performing. You know, pass rates, uh, it's probably interesting to know on a multiple choice question, there's like four answers, you know, one's the right answer. Uh, And uh, all of those have their own statistics in there uh, as far as uh, if you have one right answer and three others, how is that question performing? But those those are called distractors, uh, distractor analysis. So there's a lot of work that goes into all these uh, exam analysis and uh, they're constantly being reviewed. And good uh, uh, questions are kept for a while until we have to come up with a new test. And then uh, questions that don't perform well are, are not scored or taken off the, off the exam. And then overall, we look at the overall tests themselves to make sure they're performing within parameters set for that given community uh, that we're testing. It's a very, uh, as I often kid people, there's not much in life that's really rocket science, but this is really that's really rocket science, what are doing.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a lot more goes into it than people would think.
2: There's a lot more going into it. And that's why we encourage people to come and uh, volunteer to be part of the organization, because once you get involved as a volunteer, as a subject matter expert, um, you writing the clinical questions and engaging with uh, colleagues um, is a great professional experience, and then you actually get to learn and work with the psychometricians and learn about this level of analysis that goes mm-hmm. on, and um, it's a very rewarding experience. So that's why we're constantly looking for people who want to become involved with the organization to help write questions, and uh, it's it's uh, the constant feedback we we get is it's just one of the best professional experiences uh people can have because if you are at all interested in that uh, type of thing uh, that's that's what we would like to have you do
0: so just for example the fetal echocardiography um, specialty boards i know when that first came out when i was your when you were my ci the pass rate started really low but it's gotten a lot better was was there some analysis that came back from that that was like well we need to kind of step back and rewrite a lot of this or was it just fine tuning as you know specific
2: questions to well, help? well that's a very good question that has an answer that's probably a little bit more complicated than the okay <laughs> when the, when there's a, when there's a new examination and let's uh, fetal echo or breast or any of those and you're in it, you are offering a new content area in an established community. Pass rates vary. And typically what happens is that we'll have people like yourself take the exam. Uh, People that are established, uh, highly experienced, they will, they will sit for that exam and pass rates actually when pass rates that are actually higher when they first, when an exam first comes out because you're, your much more experienced people are typically taking it. Sure. And so the cost rates end up higher. Once that wave of candidates pass and then you get it more into maybe at the student level or the minimally experienced, one to three year uh, uh, experienced person, then that kind of settles into where that needs to be or what we think it needs to be. And then um, uh, we look and that's where it gets into the measurements and performance. We're always doing that So, um, and then it it settles. The other thing that's important to realize is also what's the educational infrastructure around it. So um, as content areas mature that we test, oftentimes there's more educational infrastructure that builds around it. And so the, if we want to use fetal echo again, the fetal echo, educational infrastructure in 2018 is much different than it was in 2005. Absolutely. And so people are better educated. They're probably better prepared to sit for the exam. And so uh, the performance of the exams and the performance of the individuals change when that happens as well.
0: Sure. Good point. Yeah. I mean, and they're seeing more fetal echoes in their internships and
2: yeah. experience. Yeah, uh, that's correct. Uh, typically... You know, when we get into certification areas, we're, we're kind of, I wouldn't say we're at the bleeding edge of building a community, but we're typically at a leading edge. Got it. Uh, if the data supports the community. So we we're that way with breast ultrasound. Uh, we were a little ahead of the curve. That has built up nicely. Mm-hmm. Fetal echo, the same thing. Mm-hmm. And now fetal echo is a much more prominent area. Uh, and then uh, MSK, we feel with MSK, we uh, for the sonographer, especially in the United States, that's gonna be involving specialty and field and uh, pediatric sonography as well.
0: Yeah, well, congratulations on doing that. That's a big feat
2: on well, all those levels. It's, it's, it's a huge team effort here.
0: Just a really curious about the people that form help formulate the questions. What is the size of that group of people look like for each special subspecialty exam?
2: It really depends. The way our structure works is that uh, each each examination has subject matter experts that practice in that area for oversight. And so each exam has a chair and a vice chair. Okay. Then underneath them, they, they have a variety of what we call working groups in which could range from five people to 10 or 15 people.
1: Oh, wow.
2: Uh, that they're assigned different things, whether it be item writing or the actual test review or... Uh, being on what we call the passing standard committee, which actually determines what the passing rate sure. is. Mm-hmm. It all, all depend on psychometric data. Uh, and that also varies depending on the maturity of the examination.
0: Is that chair usually held by a physician or a sonographer?
2: Depends on the exam. So in, in the ARDMS, uh, those are sonographers. Okay. Uh, and on the physician exams, those, the leadership and most of the subject matter experts are physicians as well. Yeah.
0: Oh, cool. Well, while we're on to kind of what has been going on lately and what's coming up. We want to talk about what the future goals and aspirations of Intelios, um, as well as specific to the ARDMS are. And what do these organizations hope to look like in 10 years from now?
2: Mm, good question. Well, Intelios mission is to, uh, ensure as much as possible uh, public safety through certification. The, the bumper guards around the mission of Intelios is, is health care. And so really, the goal of Intelios is to get as many people certified as possible, because we feel that that is a way to improve global health. So improving global health through certification is the goal of Intelios. Um, Certainly, sonography is a huge part of it because of ARDMS, uh, but there are other areas that uh, we are open to. And this is why we also absorb the uh, uh, what used to be the Commission uh, certification board for Cardiovascular Imaging. And so we brought on board within under the Atello's umbrella, kind of a separate organization that deals with cardiologists uh, credentialing. And that's why we're certifying cardiologists now, nuclear cardiology CT. And we're actually building a cardiologist based uh, MR exam. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have our point of care and of course, our sonographer area. So as we expand globally, we hope to align ourselves to build a global community around healthcare certification, uh, specifically addressing these uh, content areas, whether it be sonography or others. And, uh, And we feel that the organization can make a a global impact on improving uh, global health uh, through certification. Now, as far as the individual certification organizations, ARDMS being the core, the cornerstone of of the entire organization, uh, we believe that uh, the sonographer profession within ARDMS uh, has huge growth. Uh, As ultrasound expands, so does the sonographer. And uh, we want to be there to help uh, facilitate uh, uh, more sonographers (laughs) and more sonographer practices occurring, not only domestically, which I think will proliferate a lot into non-traditional users, um, as well as point of care, for instance. Uh, I do believe the role of the sonographer will increase with time. And I think the employment opportunities for the sonographer will change in which a sonographer may very well work for a rheumatologist or a podiatrist sure, or a group of nurse practitioners, uh, as well as the traditional radiologist, obstetrician, cardiologist, and surgeon. So I think as, as where the ultrasound equipment is being used, I think those are pathways for the sonographer to follow. And do those certifications change over time? Maybe. I don't have an answer to that right now but ARMS will be there to support those, what I think is gonna be the evolution as as ultrasound evolves. That also moves into the global area. As I said earlier, I do think a lot of countries uh, who are being overwhelmed with the the demand for sonography, uh, such as China, India, Europe, Latin America, uh, the model of, of physicians-only scanning uh, is, it will not work, and it, it is not working, in fact, in most of these countries. And so they are looking towards the American model of the sonographer to help facilitate the need and the demand uh, for sonography. So I think the sonographer profession is going is to grow uh, uh, in those areas over the next 10 years. And uh, where the sonographer profession will be readily available through most major populated countries of the world.
0: Wow. And do you see more American-trained sonographers going overseas um, for employment at that time?
2: Um, well, uh, I think it's safe to say we would hope so. But the real key to that also brings up another area, which is the pipeline for okay. sonographers. Sure. Right now, I do think there's probably a limited capacity of education for sonographers. There's a pipeline. Um, Right now, I'm not aware of many educational programs that are expanding or have more seats for students. And most importantly, I think a real problem is uh, the clinical sites. Mm -hmm. And so, as much as educational programs want to expand, they don't have the clinical sites to expand. And so, Right now, I think there's a finite number of sonographers that can be produced in the United States. And so as the demand for ultrasound increases and the demand for sonographers increase, that's I think that's going to be a problem over the next 10 years. that's going to have to be addressed.
1: Sure. Especially as the baby boomers begin to retire from practicing clinically.
2: I agree. And uh, that's certainly not my area of expertise, but I do think it's an issue. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the pipeline or capacity of sonographer education and training, in and it's not only the sonographers; it's it's everybody. Yeah. Like all health all healthcare professions are seeing this with limited clinical sites. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's affecting physician residency programs. But uh, I think that's the biggest that would be the biggest uh, impediment of of the sonographer professional growth is is that. Mm-hmm. Now, how that's addressed in different countries, I think the term sonographer will be used, but how those people are educated and trained up to become practitioners, I think that will vary from country to country. But the sonographer model itself is what's going to go over the next two years.
0: That's great to hear. It's encouraging, and also Deems looking into how we can improve clinical site numbers, and yeah, we'll have to keep that conversation going.
2: Right, uh, and that 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 gets into a, very deep philosophical discussion on, on all of that, which I'm going to say is beyond our conversation.
0: Well, very last question that we always like to ask on the ISP interview is what legacy does Dale Sear hope to leave behind after going into retired, retired status or retired 2.0 when uh, you finally give it up? Yeah. What would you like your legacy in this profession to be?
2: Yeah, I, I, I hopefully that'll be a ways away. <laughs> <Okay>. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, I think, you know, I don't look at so much as my legacy, but I do think if I, if I've made any contribution to the field of sonography and actually to the field of testing and certification, in which uh, I'm a firm believer that certification does improve patient safety. um, If anything I've done through my career has helped in that regard, I would be very happy with my professional career. And uh, that's all I can hope for. and That's what I kind of work towards uh, every day. So...
0: That's great to hear. And we're really grateful for everything you've contributed to ARDMS and beyond. So, that's going to do it for our interview with Dale Sear. Dale, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us on the International Sonography Podcast. I'm still in awe of all of our guests' contribution to the field. And we'd just like to send a heartfelt thank you to all of you for your work and your dedication to sonography over the years. Join us next time on Episode 8 as we feature a well-known perinatologist and author, Dr. Vern Katz, and genetic counselor, Mrs. Katherine Murray. We are able to sit down with them and have a conversation of how the field of high-risk OB has changed over the last 30 to 40 years and what aspect genetic counseling and sonography have brought to the field. Coming up in the pipeline, we also are honored to sit down with Dr. Phil Bendick and Joy Guthrie. I know Lorinda has known Dr. Bendick for years and has worked with him in the SDMS and on various projects, but I was first introduced to him at last year's SDMS conference in Dallas when he did a fabulous talk on bio effects that I thought was so interesting. And so we wanted to have him on the show. And if you're somebody out there who has not yet got to hear the story of Joy Guthrie and how she came to be in the field and all of her contributions, I know people will find interest and inspiration in what she has to tell us um, on our sit-down interview with her. So make sure to tune in for those episodes as well. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at internationalsonographypodcast at gmail.com. Also, we just started building the website for internationalsonography.com, which features podcast episodes and other information on ISP. It is a work in progress. We're still uh, under construction with the website, but feel free to visit the page. You can see photos and also links to the podcast episodes that we've done so far. You can also reach us from that page, emailing us or leaving comments on the page. Until then, everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.